0: Aghritam one 1828 28-36, on September 29th, 2012, in Vrindavan, Part 2. It is, but my first two days I didn't get a recording. My first day the battery was out, the second day the thing was falling. And yes, it is good. All right, so so far we've talked about the reasons for Krishna's appearance, and we talked about two of the contradictions, so we're going to go over another three contradictions. Another contradiction is that fear is afraid of Krishna, and Krishna is afraid of Yasoda that Krishna exhibits emotions that we associate with conditioned souls. Oh, we understand that the, the main symptom of a liberated soul is freedom from fear, peace, being equipoised. If you read the descriptions of the liberated souls in the Bhagavad Gita, 2nd chapter, 14th chapter, 12th chapter, you'll find you're all equipoised, unaffected, without fear, without duality. What is fear? What is fear? What is fear? Can somebody tell me what is fear?
1: Uncertainty
0: about the future. Huh? Uncertainty about the future. And uncertainty about what? We're not certain about what in the future that will.
1: Yeah.
0: Huh? If
1: everything will be good.
0: If everything will be good. Now this is this is important. Everybody who's here. right? Does everybody here need things? We need food, water, air, light, temperature, right? We also need things like love. We need to be valued. We need to be treated with some consideration. We actually need those things. Psychologists have listed what do we need and why are we afraid? Because we're afraid that we'll either lose them or we won't get them. I'm afraid that I'll lose what I have and I won't get what I lack. That's where fear comes from, yoga shema. That what I already have, I may lose. And what I don't yet have, I will not get. I'm afraid that the food that's in my refrigerator will be taken and I won't get any food tomorrow. The friends I have now will turn against me and I'll have no new friends tomorrow. The money I have now will be lost, I'll get no money tomorrow. So that's my fears. Right, does that make sense to everybody? If you think about what is fear, it's that I feel incomplete and I am afraid I won't get what I need for survival and happiness. So, how absurd that Krishna can be afraid. He's the source of everything. It's even absurd for us to be afraid because I can't be hurt by anything. And I don't really need anything. As soon as I'm connected with Krishna, I don't need anything. All of my fear is due to an illusion of being disconnected. Actually, I am connected. It's like if you have a machine and it's plugged in, but you don't know it's plugged in, and you think, oh, the battery's going to run out, but actually, it's plugged in. So we are connected with Krishna. We're imagining that we're not connected and we're worried that our batteries might to run out. And freedom from fear means just that you notice, oh, I'm connected to Krishna. I've always been connected to Krishna. I am connected to Krishna. I always will be connected to Krishna. Therefore, there is no chance of anything ever running out. Near Yoga atma Atmavam be established in the self, and free from all anxieties for gain and safety, chapter 2, what is that, 45, and yoga shema vahamyaham. I take care of everything, so the devotee is not afraid of anything ever. How can Krishna be afraid? Why is the child afraid of its mother? Because the mother may give them some punishment, which will give them some pain. They won't have what they want, what they need. How can Krishna be afraid? Krishna is the source of fearlessness for everybody else. Abhayichara It's by being at Krishna's lotus feet that I become fearless. Why am I not afraid that my battery is going to run out? Because it's plugged into the wall. As long as my machine is plugged into the wall... I don't worry about the battery, right? If the powerhouse is worried, then there's really something to question. It's like saying the sun is afraid it's going to run out of energy. How is Krishna afraid? So this is bewildering. And Krishna is actually afraid. Vishnu Chakrabadi Thakur says that if Krishna wasn't actually afraid, if he's just pretending to be afraid, there's nothing to be bewildered about at all. Krishna's actually afraid. Why? To enjoy the rasa.
1: Hmm? To enjoy
0: the rasa? Yes. Fear is one of the twelve rasas. Prabhupada says that there's nothing, not in this verses, but another lecture. He says, there's nothing outside of the twelve russas. Whatever we experience is within the twelve russas. I think that's in a lecture on nectar devotion. That's all there is. Whatever we do, Proverbs nicely in the preface of nectar devotion, he says, everything we're doing is to get some rasa, to get some pleasure. And pleasure can sometimes be in the form of fear. Otherwise, why do people go to scary movies? Or take, you know, those rides in the amusement park. When I was a child, I used to love those rides where you go up, 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 and then go down. And you feel like you're going to fall out of the seat. Sometimes when the ride goes around, you actually go out of the seat a little bit. It was fun. Why? It's fear. But interesting, it's fear and safety mixed Did you notice that? When you go on those rides, you're afraid, but you feel safe. Someone's watching a scary movie, they're also safe. They're just sitting in a seat in the theater. There's not any real danger. So actually those in Krishna's Lila and Krishna himself, they have this fear without any real danger. There's this underlying peace, there's an underlying security. But it's not just like, om, shanti, shanti. It's not that Krishna is just walking around being peaceful all the time. Yes, everything's nice. That's boring. So he's beyond peace. Krishna's fear is beyond peace. It includes peace. It includes security. Or like if you have a young child and you're throwing them up in the air and catching them. A little child, they... They love it when you put them on some high piece of furniture and they jump into your arms and they'll say, again, again, again. You put them up and they do it again, again, again. They'll do it all day. You throw them in the air and you catch them. It's fun. Why? Because it's fear mixed with peace. They know daddy's going to catch me, mama's going to catch me. But yet it's scary. It's scary and it's secure at the same time. That's beyond security. Just security is boring. You know, just security is like eating just plain potatoes or they like to serve in India plain rice. No salt, no ghee. Well Mahaprabhu got rice, it had ghee on it. Bhakti right. Siddhartha said, if you want to keep your servants, you have to feed them good rice with ghee. So, somebody's not reading these things and they're just plain rice. So boring. Isn't it boring? It's really boring. <laughs> you know, you have to put something, you have to mix something with it, practically, to eat it. How much of it can you eat? You have to mix something that has some flavor. That's a tapasya, like the gopis for Katyani Vrat. They eat this rice and mung beans without any flavor. One of my godbrothers does that vrat and he said, it's like eating solid air. So Krishna is not boring. Who wants to be with Krishna if it's just boring? So he's enjoying this view. Now some of the principles we notice Of course, that's in text 31. Some of the principles Prabhupada talks about in terms of Kunti's bewilderment is that Kunti didn't have this privilege of Yusoda. She wasn't a Vrindavan devotee. So she appreciated Yusoda, but she didn't understand it. She couldn't understand it. So one is bewildered if he's not an inside person. And the specialty of the Vrindavan mood, another principle we see here. So one principle is that That Krishna has varieties of enjoyment, including fear. Fear, which is the basis of all material illusion. The most essential feature of material illusion is fear. I don't see that there's a cord connecting me to Krishna. But yet, Krishna can find pleasure in it because there's rasa. Uh, That Krishna is also the perfect child. You wouldn't want a child who just says, Well, I don't care, mommy, whatever you do to me. You no, know, just go ahead and punish me. I'm not afraid of you. I mean, that wouldn't be very pleasurable for the mother. And the Prabhupada says that we can get this privilege also, that each of us can get this privilege of dealing with Krishna in a very intimate way. Krishna also gets afraid that Radharani won't talk to him anymore. He gets afraid that the Calgary boys won't play with him anymore. Madhya Soda's calling him home for lunch. And the boys are saying, if you go, next time you want to play with us, we won't play with you. Because you're leaving in the middle of the game and Krishna gets scared and goes back. And Madhya Soda has to call him again. Do you think you're a street boy? Don't you see? Your friends have been bathed and ornamented by their mothers, and you're dirty. And anyway, your father's home, and he won't eat unless you eat. Do you want him to fast? But Krishna is scared of the boys. Right? the boys. The boys won't play with him anymore. So whatever our Rasa is, we can get this privilege that Krishna will be scared. That we won't give him something. How sweet. And Prabhupada says that this pastime, this Dhamadhar pastime, shows Krishna's opulence of beauty. Krishna crying, the mascara, the kajal, rubbing his eyes, and his eyes are getting all black from the kajal. Shivering in fear, and his necklace is shaking. It's very Beautiful. So I know one devotee who told me that her spiritual master had given a class how if we're inattentive during chanting, it's like we're beating Krishna. So the next morning when she was chanting, she was thinking, Krishna, I don't want to beat you, and she started crying. And as she was chanting like that, she said she actually saw Krishna manifest there. She said she saw him all covered with dirt and sweat. Like it's described when Krishna comes back in the afternoon that he's dirty and sweaty. So this is interesting, we were talking before about the king Nala. So if any of you know the story of Nala, so Damayanti was in love with this king Nala. I don't really know why, but anyway she was. Love is interesting. And she was so qualified that the demigods also wanted to marry her, and she was so crazy for this Nala, she preferred him over the demigods. That's why I say love is interesting. It seems like it would be a lot nicer to marry like Varuna or Indra than some earth man. But she wanted the earth man. So the demigods wanted her so much that they disguised themselves as Nala and came to her swine bar. So she saw 4 girls. <coughs> and how was she going to pick the right one so she looked at who was sweating because the demigods don't sweat their clothes don't get dirty but Krishna sweats Manasota is sweating Now we think of sweating as I think of sweating as something rather nasty and uncomfortable but for Krishna it's pleasurable and so Krishna looked, and this devotee was telling me she said when I saw Krishna like that he was so beautiful Dirty and sweaty beautiful. But I thought even in this world, sometimes, you know, that women will find it attractive, some man who's dirty and sweaty, working hard, some big. So Krishna's beauty, even if he's covered with the dust from the calves and he's covered with sweat or he's crying and rubbing the black kajal over his eyes, he becomes more beautiful, becomes more attractive. And 32, that Krishna doesn't belong to any family. Yet he appears in a family. Now, not all of Krishna's incarnations do that. Masingadev just comes out of a pillar. He doesn't belong to any family. Matsya just kind of, Matsya and Kurma just kind of show up in the in the oceans. I mean, Varaha comes as the son of Brahma, which is interesting since Brahma is the son of Narayan. And of course he comes as Brahma's son through his nose. I don't think any modern doctors have yet develop a fertility system where you can give birth through your nose.
1: What is
0: this? But Ram and Krishna, Vamandev, Parasaram, Balaram. They all appear in a family. But yet how can you say Krishna belongs to a particular family? Everybody is his family, Aham Bija I'm the father of everyone, Krishna says. So Prabhupada says Kunti says, this is like sandalwood grows on the Malaya hills, so you can call it Malaya sandalwood. Prabhupada commenting on this talks about a perfume called Uda Cologne. He says that, you know, it can be made anywhere, but it's made in the city of Cologne, France, so it's called the Uda Cologne so Krishna likes to appear in in particular families although really everyone is his family and the last contradiction we're going to mention very briefly which is unfortunate is that Krishna is beyond time this is from text 28 now this is a fascinating topic and I've left it for last intentionally so I wouldn't be tempted to spend too much time on it Uh, just absolutely fascinating so what is the beginning of material creation Time. The first aspect of illusion is time. And the personality of time is? Who is the personality of time? When Krishna says, time I am, he is speaking as who? Shiva. This time is the glance of the Lord, which is actually Lord Shiva. Lord Shiva is the manifestation of ahankara. I am the doer to have the illusion of the doer stand up if you're tired to have the I, I was thinking of bringing in fireworks next time to have the illusion of the doer there has to be time I do this and then this happens I do this and then this happens it's not real it's an illusion Very nice article in a Back to Godhead by Maturesh about time. I highly recommend that you read it. Nice article about time. I don't remember. Last few years. Definitely last 10 years, maybe last five years. Fairly recent. Excellent, excellent article about time. Maturesh. So, when Krishna showed the universal form, all past, present, and future were happening simultaneously. Now, many persons who are even attained like Brahman or Paramatma realization will say, I saw that everything was happening simultaneously. That past, present, and future are an illusion. The spiritual world, in truth, time is conspicuous by its absence. Yet Krishna appears within time. You can say he came on this date, he was born on this date, he left on this date. First he did this, then he did that, then he did this thing, this happened first, this happened second, this happened next, and so on. So that's another contradiction that Krishna is beyond time. Krishna is experiencing past, present, and future, all existing simultaneously at one time, like Krishna experiences all places as one place. But yet he appears with it. But you
1: just clearly told the Lord Shiva, the manifestation of any car. And you just said, I am car, I am Lord Shiva, the person that comes from
0: Ah, yes. I am clear Is that clear now? I am not clear about the yeah, I will not you will not be able to understand this. I will not be able to understand it. Ah, uh-huh. yes. Yes. Shiva Prabhupada says when Krishna says time I am, he's speaking as Shiva. What do we know time as? Destruction. Anyway you, you must read that article. You can't you can't actually measure time or identify time. Time is the element that's produced before space. Space you can measure by hearing. Time you can't measure with anything. Time has no corresponding sense organ by which to ascertain its presence. (coughs) We ascertain time, we understand time in two ways, by the movements of one object in relationship to another, like the movements of the earth in relationship to the sun, and we understand time by changes. that this is what I looked like when I was two, and this is what I looked like when I was 22, and this is what I looked like when I was 32, and there's changes, therefore there's been time. There's deterioration. In the spiritual world, there's no sun, moon like that, and there's no movements of bodies around each other creating time, nor is there any deterioration. So this concept of time is the beginning of illusion. It's the foundation of illusion. It's, it's the foundation of false ego. Prabhupada writes here that our, our, our experiences of time are relative. How I experience time, how an ant experiences time, how Brahma experiences time are not the same. But illusion starts with time. Beyond illusion, there's not time. Time is conspicuous by its absence. And yet, Krishna appears in time. Okay, how do we understand all these things? Krishna's reasons for appearing, all these contradictions and mysteries. Well, from text twenty-eight, that we that Krishna is a friend who really loves us, and therefore he wants to reveal to us. From twenty-nine, that we get this mercy from Krishna by being ourselves lovers, by loving Krishna. He loves us; we love him by being Krishna's friend. If you're a friend to somebody, you don't think in terms of exchange. You don't think, well, I'm going to help out my friend so they can help me. You're just, you're just a friend. Of course, in this world, we all do think of exchange, but there's some idea. Sociologists have identified three kinds of relationships. One is the power relationship. I'm the boss, you're the slave, you do what I say, or I'll hurt you. The fear relationship. One is the exchange. I go to the shop, I buy something, and after I bought something, I leave. We had someone come and fix our AC, and they fixed it, fixed it, fixed it, broke, fixed it, broke, fixed it, broke, fixed it, broke. Every time it broke, we were calling. Now that it's fixed, we don't call them anymore. After business is finished, then the relationship stops. It's just an exchange. And the last kind of relationship is Sharing. So we expect in a family that it's sharing, that everybody just shares and everybody helps each other and nobody keeps score. Of course, that's not real, but that's what we expect. So another way we understand Krishna's mercies and get Krishna's mercy is to enter into a relationship with him where we're not trying to get something. We're not keeping score. It's not a business exchange. We just love Krishna because he's so lovable. And for the people in general, Prabhupada says, they should at least be encouraged to be pious. Even if people can't become transcendentalists, at least encourage them to have religion. At least it's a stepping stone. But ultimately, one has to come to the platform of bhakti. was in 35. Ultimately in 35, one needs to come to the platform of bhakti. And Prabhupada makes the point very strongly in a lecture on 35, that we have to practice bhakti just like you have to practice dancing before you go on stage. So, recently, my daughter and her family have moved to my and my daughter teaches in the school there. She teaches seven, eight-year-old children, and she also teaches dancing, Bartonetton dancing to all the girls in that school. So, it's a situation where the girls have to learn dancing. It's not like a dance school where you just come if you want to. It's It's a required course. So, that means that she had girls there who didn't really want to be there. So she had to try to find a way to motivate them. So she said, well, let's work for a performance. She was telling me that really, that's not the way you teach dance. She said, you teach dance at first, just boom, this step and that step, and then later you work for a performance. So, you know, some of them, that that got everyone at least participating, but by the time it came to Radhashtui and the performance, that I think eight or nine of them were not ready to perform. And she said, I'm sorry, you're not ready. So three parents were very upset and one of them was yelling at her, and how dare you not allow my daughter to perform? So I just sent my daughter, from doing this preparation for this class, I just sent her this quote from this text 35. Where it said, a director is a rascal if he lets somebody dance on stage when they haven't come to the rehearsals. And that is a rascal. I said, you should put this quote in your newsletter to the parents. Prabhupada says, if I let your daughter dance on stage when she's not ready, then I'm a rascal director. So in the same way, uh, first Mahamaya and then Yogamaya, they're making sure that we're ready to dance with Krishna. You know, we're in practice. Sadhana means practice. Of course, when Prabhupada was young, he was in one drama about Mahaprabhu, and the director made him practice for one year before they would go on stage. So we have to be willing to practice, not that we say immediately I need to dance with Krishna. We have to wait until our teacher says we are ready and not that I decide I'm ready. You know, when my teacher decides I'm ready, uh, then I can actually go on stage. So One needs to be willing to practice. And then uh, something really, uh, again, one of those quotes that you just go, <clears throat> so I'm going to read this from the purport. This is again from the verse where Quinti said, very soon, by hearing and chanting, by hearing and chanting, very soon, one will see the lotus feet of the Lord. Prabhupada says, therefore, even though the Lord may be present before our eyes, it is not possible to see him unless we have the necessary vision. He gives the example of all these demons who saw Krishna but didn't see him, and we don't have time, but there's a wonderful lila between Mahaprabhu and uh, Makunda on this point in Chaitanya Bhagavat, uh, incredibly lit, it has to do with the 21 hours of ecstasy and the Lord giving benedictions. so if you're interested, I would refer you to read that, uh, unfortunately I don't have the time. Therefore, um, the necessary qualification is developed by the process of devotional service only, beginning with hearing about the Lord from the right sources. The Bhagavad Gita is one of the popular literatures, which are generally heard, chanted, repeated, etc., by the people in general. Of course, when Srila Prabhupada wrote this, he was in India. But in spite of such hearing, etc., sometimes it is experienced that the performer of such devotional service does not see the Lord eye to eye. So if we're doing our service and we're not seeing the Lord eye to eye, <coughs> the says, the reason is that the first item, shravana, is very important. If hearing is from the right sources, it acts very quickly. Generally, people hear from unauthorized sources. So we have to hear from the right sources, and again, as is as said elsewhere in the first canto, that we have to be pure in mind, and we have to be pure in action. We have to be pure in eating, sleeping, fearing, and defending. And then if we hear from the right source with the right consciousness, then we will also be able to chant, Very nice, where was I reading this? I think it was, I think it was Canto 1, Chapter 18, or Canto 2, Chapter 2, where Prabhupada said that a a low-born person becomes more qualified by chanting also, by hearing and by chanting makes you qualified. Then we can remember, and then we will see the lotus feet of the Lord, and by seeing the lotus feet of the Lord, we will attain prema just quickly to review So the mystery of Krishna's activities, why does he come? He comes to kill the demons he comes to stop the overburden on the earth that materialistic people are heavy to glorify his devotees like Yadu, Yudhisthira, Devaki, Kivasudeva and Brahma he comes for his own pleasure because he wants to not because he has to and to rejuvenate Hearing enchanted. But yet when he comes with so many contradictions and bewilderments, he favors the devotees, but he's impartial. He's born but he's unborn. He's above all fear. Fear is a fear. One who takes shelter of Krishna, fear runs away. And yet, Krishna is enjoying being afraid. That he doesn't belong to any family, yet he comes in a particular family. He's above time, and yet he appears to come in time. We can understand this because Krishna is our friend. We have to become Krishna's friend, at least be on the platform of piety, to practice bhakti and to have very focused and pure hearing. And then we will come to understand these things. Never perfectly, but we will understand them in truth. All right, let's pull out some challenging questions. Someone who didn't ask something before. Did you write something down? Oh, very good. Somebody, everyone's supposed to have one to three questions. Okay. If Krishna has a plan for everything, then why is it that Kunti knew? that he's the supreme personality of Godhead, but the residents of Vrindavan don't know oh they know sometimes sometimes they know like the gopis when, they, when they're looking for Krishna they say you're not really the son of Mother yasoda you're really the inborn witness you're really the eternal truth they know uh, but they forget and they're not really very interested it's just like uh, in America right now we have President Obama so his wife knows he's the president It's not that she doesn't know. But I'm sure she often forgets. I'm sure sometimes when she's just with her husband and her daughters, you know, they're not calling him Mr. President. And when they're home, and she might say, hey, why have you left your socks on the floor? So you don't talk that way to the president. Of course, if she's at a state dinner, then she has to treat him like the president. So when the residents of Rindavan came to Kurukshetra, it was very awkward for them because Krishna was the big prince. let's go back to Vrindavan. And they forget. Especially when they're in separation, they forget. And it's it's not important to them. You know, Madhya Soda sees this vision of the universal form, and she's just like, it's not important to her. It doesn't change her feelings about it. It's just like, wow, I have a really amazing child. That's more yeah. how she sees it. Yes?
1: Um, I have a question about seeing Krishna face to face. Is, um, could you explain a little bit more about what happens when you see Krishna face to face? And is there many people that actually do? And is it like a meditation? Or is he really there? or Just he could be here and you see him.
0: Prabhupada says, you know when Krishna is pleased with you because you'll see him face to face. That's your test that Krishna's please. And so the other test is that you're following the orders of Guru. And you know, if you're following the orders of Guru, Krishna must be pleased. So, this is, I will refer you here primarily to Madhurya Kadambani, a Vishwanachakavadi Thakur, to answer that question. And secondly, I would refer you to a book by Shiva Ramaraj called Sudhubhakti Chintamani, where he's really, of course. In Sudha Bhakti Chintamani, he doesn't describe pre-massage. He describes bhava much more than, than Prema. Uh, another place this is described very nicely is in the purport to Nectar Instruction, Text 8, which is then expanded upon by Bhakti Minotakurin Dharma, I believe, Chapter 25. So at the point of Ashakti, of attachment, one is seeing Krishna in the heart, but it's with the mind. Kapiladev says one uses the mind as a hook to capture the Lord. So it's on the platform of the mind. At the point of bhava, Krishna has become attracted by the devotee's use of the mind and Krishna personally appears in the heart. In such a state, one loses awareness of one's external environment, just like when we dream. So if we have a dream, we are not aware of anything around us. And we feel like we're seeing face-to-face the other people in our dream. Although they're not physically in front of us. It's happening only within the mind. So in bhava, it's happening within the heart. And then gradually, in bhava, one enters into those lilas. So one is an observer. Before bhava, one sees Krishna, but it's in the mind Although even before bhava, the samadhi, Prabhupada talks about two kinds of samadhi, mental samadhi and spiritual samadhi. Mental samadhi is so strong, just like a dream. So in a dream you feel like you're actually experiencing it. So the devotee, even in the mental level of samadhi, seeing Krishna through total absorption of the mind, feels that they're seeing Krishna face to face. And they think there's nothing more than that. But then when Krishna actually appears, there's a difference in quality. The Prabhupada says, calls the samadhi of the mind lifeless yoga. And the real yoga, the real living yoga, is when Krishna personally appears in the mind. And then in prema, Krishna appears outside of the heart, in front of the devotee. this like is meditating on the Lord and then his meditation breaks and he opens his eyes and there's the Lord. And then Vishnathagavati Tapur describes how the devotee gets overwhelmed by each of the Lord's opulences, by the Lord's beauty and he feels like all of his senses become like eyes to see the beauty of the Lord. And then he is aware of the Lord's fragrance. All of his senses become like a nose to smell the fragrance of the Lord. And then and he faints each time. And then the Lord speaks. And then all of his senses become like ears to hear the Lord. And again he faints. And then the Lord touches the devotee. Depending on the rasa, he may touch the devotee's feet or touch him on the head or touch him, praise him to the chest. The devotee is overwhelmed. All of his senses become like touch. And then Vishnu Chagodhi says, only for the devotees in Madhurya Ras does the Lord kiss them and they experience the taste of the Lord. But of course, Mahaprabhu says, whenever we eat prasada, we're experiencing the taste of the Lord. And then when the devotee faints from the taste of the Lord, then the Lord exhibits his mercy and then the Lord exhibits all of everything's beauty, his fragrance, his sound, everything at once. And the devotee is trying to catch everything at once with his senses.
1: Krishna's right here.
0: He's here. First of all, he's in our heart. That means all of Vrindavan is with him, but he's here. He's in every avenue, he's in the pictures. Indeed, he's in the here. Seeing him face-to-face is just a question of our being nice so that he wants to see us. Proving to Krishna, Satchinanda Maharaj said, it's not exactly that I have to have faith in Krishna, Krishna has to have faith in me, that I'm not going to try to hurt him. I'm not going to be envious of him. So it's really just proving to Krishna, I actually want to love you. I don't mean you any harm. I'm not envious of him. And Even in the Bible, it says, Moses saw God face to face like a friend speaks with another friend. And with Lord Brahma, when Krishna comes and shakes Lord Brahma's hand, it's in the third King and anyone following the disciplic succession of Lord Brahmā, that means all of us. That if we're preachers, that Krishna will shake our hand with full satisfaction. And I know many, many members of the Hare Krishna movement, some of them big and some of them small, mm-hmm. because at least say they saw Krishna face to face. I can choose to believe them or not, I suppose. But the people I know who told me that, they're very solid, honest people. They're not crazy people. They're not liars. I know some people have told me Krishna came, saw them face to face, and yelled at them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. chastised yes. them. I know people have seen different forms. Some devotees have told me they've seen Lord Varaha. One devotee who told me that, she said. Don't tell my husband who think I'm a sajia. She said, but I was chained up and there was Lord She said, I have no idea why I saw Lord She said, but his fur is like velvet. I know devotees who've seen Korma, I know devotees who've seen Vrindadevi, Balarani. I know devotees who've seen Govardhan. You've already told me he's about seven years old and he looks like a striped rock. And he's very... He has the moon being the authority. So you can believe it or not, it's up to you. As again, these are people that I, I personally trust. Well, I I no, but I... I personally trust them. You might not. that's a matter of personal faith just like Srila Prabhupada I was, there, I was there when the reporter asked him have you seen God? And I said everyone is seeing it, sunshine, have you seen God? He says yes, I'm seeing it every moment and then you just you have to believe it or not I mean how can you verify that or another time when Prabhupada was talking to a reporter the reporter asked him, have you seen God Prabhupada says if I tell you would you accept Prabhupada kept pushing for a long time if I, if I tell you, will you accept? Will you accept? Finally, the, yes, I'll accept it. Okay, and I'm seeing God at every moment. Also, when I was there, one reporter asked, from what age did you realize God? I said, that I cannot say from the age. And the reporter kept pushing pushing. I said, oh, maybe four or five years old. And I know many devotees who've, Said they looked at the deities and saw there's not a statue as Krishna. I have one friend who told me was a friend of mine who uh, would play mudanga every morning in the Mangalarti kirtan. He said one morning I was there and it was Krishna on the altar. He said every day for two weeks it was Krishna. I didn't know what to do. I thought, well, I guess I'll just keep playing mudanga. I said, did you see right around? He said, no, just Krishna. All right, and one devotee I know who was in Pujari for like 30 years, and she was telling me in one temple, she was telling me that one sannyasi who had used to serve at that temple many, many years ago and was traveling and came to visit again, that he came in the temple to see the deities. She was there with her husband. And while she was with her husband and Maharaj was looking for deities, she said all of a sudden she looked at the deities and there was Ravankusha she didn't say anything to anybody she said about a week later her husband said "Um, did you see anything unusual when so and so was here in the temple room something happened with you and one of my god sisters who lives in my she told me she was a very new devotee how she was dressed in the deities once and she looked at Radharani and there's Radharani and she thought what do I do Uh (laughs) she thought I guess I just keep dressing Radharani Anything else? Yes.
1: On uh, a similar note, I heard that once uh, uh, the traditional master leaves the planet, and then for his uh, the disciples, you know, who are serving him, he comes and instructs uh, them, you like, know, like what to do and how to do. So, how uh, does that happen? How, how how do you how does a disciple feel and realize mm-hmm. that he yeah, has Well, in the the
0: fourth canto, with the story of um, Paranjana, when Paranjana takes birth as a woman, Madharakshana, and her husband, King Malayadwaja, leaves, and then this Brahmin comes, and the Brahmin is representative of the super-soul, and Malayadwaja, of the guru, and Madharakshana, of the disciple. And Prabhupada says that the disciple disciple will follow strictly the super-soul instructs. That's his instruction there. Uh, you have Mangala Thakur, where his uh, guru, Samagiri, from another life, uh, inspired Chintamani, inspired Mangala's girlfriend. Probably said, you say girlfriend, we say prostitute. <laughs> inspired Mangala Thakur's girlfriend to say, you know, why aren't you as devoted to Krishna as you are to me? So in many ways. I mean, there's one girl in London who's a disciple of Bhakti-Jewiswami and who has pretty strong evidence that she can remember her previous life as a brahmachari who was a disciple of Aurobindo, So it was different arrangements made for different people how the guru plans to how the guru it, it makes sure that you're taken care of and that you get proper instructions. And of course we're very fortunate because we have so many books and videos and audio tapes and So Krishna acted as a personal friend and showed a lot of partiality to the Pandavas. So why is Kunji all of a sudden speaking about impartiality? Yeah, Because she's realizing that Krishna's not partial in the way that we're partial. <coughs> we're partial in, in the sense of this. I'm going to get something from this person. But basically our partiality is I'm thinking about myself. Materialistic partiality is, is I'm the center This person helps me, therefore they're my friend. This person hurts me, therefore they're my enemy. So from Krishna's perspective, nobody can hurt him. Nobody can help him. It's a meaningless concept. Actually, even for the liberated soul, it's a meaningless concept. It just doesn't mean anything. How can you help or hurt Krishna? How can you help or hurt me, the soul, either? You just can't. It's not possible. So how can Krishna be partial like that? But out of Krishna's love, Krishna's such a, a loving, a, a, such a lover, that he wants to give all of his parts and parcels exactly what they want. You know, you want to forget me? Okay, here's forgetfulness. You want to see me as a friend? Okay, I'll be your friend. You want to see me as a this? I'll be your this. You want to see me as a this? I'll be your Not because that Krishna is thinking I'm going to get this from this person or not get this from this person. Everything Krishna does is equally loving. So Krishna's hiding from the non-devotees is just as loving as his protecting the Pandavas. There's nothing that's more, more or less... Everything is equally loving for everyone because he's exactly giving everybody what they want. and Just that some of us want things that are very foolish and it's not like a mercantile exchange not like well Krishna's reciprocating with what you give you know I give 20 rupees and I get this and he gave 100 rupees and he gets that you know it's not, it's not like that it's that Krishna's just giving he's unlimitedly giving I mean Krishna can unlimitedly take also I mean Laniya Soda loves Krishna so much if our mothers loved us that much we'd go crazy Oh, you haven't eaten for an hour. You must be hungry. <laughs> We'd say, Mom, you know, it's, it's all right already. And <laughs> Madhya Soda can love Krishna that much, and he can accept it. But Krishna's just giving, 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 giving. There's no partiality. He's giving unlimitedly to everyone. But the form of his giving is different for each because they want something different. He's giving everyone exactly what they want. Eko yo yovidadati kama. And it's not, you know, what I'm giving you. It's just, what do you want? It's like a desire tree. It's just whatever you want. It's just many of us desire foolishly, and therefore we think Krishna's partial. The Pandavas want that relationship of dependence, and so that's what they got. Everyone is getting exactly what they want. Does somebody, does anybody else have something? you want to ask? Yes. Is that All right.
1: Uh, Yesterday you spoke very nicely and elaborately about how uh, everything coming coming in our life, actually coming on its own, but uh, Krishna's arrangement by our karma and so on. You asked us to uh, use the... Section of Bhagavan that we study, but because it's related to what you from
0: the fifth chapter, which we are
1: also, also studying with a shloka, as far as yes, I'm here, but I take that for you. Joining that sixth chapter here? Or? Oh, yes, here. Yeah. So the translation is like, person, actually, intelligent and person-declared mind should be there only for purposeful is not at the angle of one, one's own, only to the most. Um, um, as far as the happiness derived from the sense of joy and concern, can be obtained automatically in a point of time, just as one automatically in a business. So, and today you spoke about, you mentioned about that quotation that we have to work just to maintain our life. <laughs> so, my question is, like, as devotees we have one experience, that everything comes on its own.
0: Oh, that's a wonderful question. Did everybody understand that question?
1: No,
0: I didn't. Okay, let me try to rephrase it and see if I understand it. So you're saying that I made the point that everyone has to work. The Krishna says you can't maintain your body without work. At the same time, we hear that we're going to get everything automatically, whether we endeavor for it or not. Actually, Pralada says that the suffering stops when you endeavor for happiness. As soon as you start the endeavor for happiness, that's when your suffering begins. So I have several ways I understand this. Some people are going to get things without working. If you have some exceptionally good karma, you're going to be born in a very wealthy family or some sort of circumstance where you'll get everything you need without working. Most of us have to work to get what is going to come to us. It's like we have a bank account, but you have to go to the bank and you have to go to the ATM machine. You have to do something to get it. It's there. It's yours. It's waiting for you. But you have to do something to claim it. You can't just do nothing. And some of us have such incredibly good karma that we don't really have to do much to claim it. But everybody has to perform dharma. nobody can cannot perform dharma so even the people who are not doing anything then they're doing spiritual dharma like that python type devotee that Prahlad Maharaj met he was engaged in meditation so Bilba Mangala Thakur was just singing and Krishna brought him milk so if you're fully engaged in your spiritual dharma then no you don't have to do your material dharma in order to get you, whatever you're going to get.
1: But you're still doing
0: something. You're not doing nothing. I mean, Krishna it was, it was is saying in the Bhagavad Gita that they have no reason to do their duty nor do they this liberated souls. They have no reason to do their duty but nor do they have any reason to not do their duty. Like a lot of he didn't even beg for food. You know, Mahaprabhu, when he traveled in South India, he begged for food. Madharipuri didn't, he only took the food it would come to him out of its own accord. But he was still doing something. He wasn't doing something to get food, but he was doing something. He was chanting and hearing, he was doing something. He wasn't just doing nothing. And then we have to see, well, what is my dharma? So all of us have to do our dharma. Now, if you're, a, if you're a sannyasi, if you're a vanaprastha, sannyasi, or brahmachari, you are not supposed to make a living. You're not supposed to do something to make an income. Doing something to make an income, that's for the grahastas. As I said, there's a, there's a positive side to that also. Doing something to earn an income means you can do something in one of the four varnas, which the brahmachari, vanaprastha, and sannyasi cannot do there's a whole range of activities that are only allowed for grahasthas and not for renunciates. It wouldn't be appropriate for a vanaprastha or a sannyasi or brahmachari to have a job in a bank or, you know what I'm saying? It's not appropriate. So if you want to engage the full range of your psychophysical nature, generally there's the grahasthas. So you have to see what's my duty in terms of maintenance. So the brahmachari's duty in terms of maintenance is to study and the Guru maintains them. And the brahmachari begs, gives everything to the Guru and the Guru maintains. And if the Guru forgets to say Krishna dasis for Sodom time, then you don't eat. The Grahasta's duty is to create wealth, especially the Vaishas. But the Grahasta's duty is to earn a livelihood. That's one of the and if you don't want to earn a livelihood, don't get married. If you, you know, if you don't know, earning money is beneath me, then don't marry. Then how are you going to earn your livelihood? You earn your livelihood as a Brahmin, Satri, Vaishya, But it's earning the livelihood. That's, that's your dharma. That's what you're supposed to be doing in Krishna's service. If you're a vāna-prastha, you're supposed to be performing austerities. If you're a Sannyasi, you're supposed to be purifying existence. I also read this nice purport recently, I think it was in 22. Bhagavata Ramadhani Prabhupada said that the main duty of those in the renounced order is to produce transcendental literatures and, 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 and have learned discourses. And then you're depending, then you're depending on Krishna. I mean, everyone's depending on Krishna. the household is also depending on Krishna. But then you're depending on Krishna very directly, although the vana-prastas and the sannyasis can beg. But it's not like a salary you know, it's not like you know you're going to get 500 rupees a week or something like that you go begging people give you they don't give you and then the society is supposed to for the brahmacharis the vanaprasthas, and the sannyasis they're supposed to give sacrifice without remuneration to the priests in the mode of ignorance now, we have a problem with this in ISKCON that we, we think that everyone's supposed to work for free and therefore if you're a renunciate we're not supposed to give you anything It's kind of odd. So the society in general then maintains the renounced order so they don't have to do anything to earn the livelihood. But they are doing something to earn the livelihood. They're not doing... It's more indirect. Does that make sense? So basically, I do my duty as prescribed in the Shastra, as prescribed by guru, and then whatever I get, I get. I don't see... I don't see that I am the doer. Even if I'm a grahastan, I have a business or I have a job, if I'm thinking king, I am the source of my income. That's nonsense. The way the devotee thinks is, I am doing my duty for Krishna. My duty for Krishna may be to go work at a bank. My duty for Krishna may be to write transcendental literatures. My duty for Krishna may be to clean the temple. My duty for Krishna may be to take care of my child. Then Krishna's maintaining. How does he maintain it? That's you know, maintaining through different means. And for the non-devotee, they're doing their dharma and they're getting maintained also by Krishna, but through their karma. But you can't say, by doing this work, I've gotten this... Because it's not true. Some people work 15 hours a day and they're poor. Some people work 3 hours a day and they're rich. But everyone has to do some dharma. You can't do nothing. Krishna says it's not possible to do nothing. Even the meditators are doing something. One who sees action and inaction and inaction and action. They're still doing something. So we have to do our dharma, and then we're maintained. If we're transcendentalists, we're maintained by Krishna. If we're materialists, we're getting the results of our karma. And what you do is your dharma. That may change over your life. But sometimes there's some renunciates who may take a vow of austerity, like Madhavindaguri. I'm not going to endeavor for food. Only what food comes to me. Or some people may take a vow, I'm not going to ever ask for money. I know one renunciate who's taken a vow like that. I will never ask for money. I know a renunciate who's taken a vow, I'll never ask for food. So one may do. That's not required. It's not one of our regulated principles. But in general, whatever I'm getting, Krishna is is giving to me. Is that? Does that help? I may I answer completely. And speaking of food, hopefully prasadam is served. Today, of course, is the disappearance day of Haridas Thakur. Haridas Thakur, So now you get one day break from me.